Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining me today is Mahesh Odrandi, founder and president of Strategic Wealth Design. Thank you for joining me, Mahesh. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes. I'm excited for the listeners to hear your story, and I'm just going to jump right in because I'm enthusiastic about getting your news out there. You've got a really unique journey, in my opinion. So you were raised in Dubai. You now call Las Vegas home. Let's start from the beginning. All right. So uh, so I was, I was beginning was I was born in India, and I was raised in Dubai. Uh, my family still lives in Dubai. My parents are out there. My brothers are out in India. And I moved to Las Vegas to go to go to college. And quick funny story about that, where um, I didn't have any intention of coming to the U.S. for college, and we had so after my after my father paid the first tuition um, for a university in Dubai, he sat me down and he said, "If I'm going to pay this price for college, you better go to the U.S. and and get some experience out there." And uh, so back uh, at that time, I said, "Sure," and. And we, I moved to Las Vegas because we had some extended family here. And Las Vegas pretty much became home uh, for me. So came here for college, uh, graduated uh, from college, and joined the financial services industry. Now, I never thought I would be in finance. Um, my story was I had an internship. Well, I knew I was going to be in finance. My father always encouraged me to learn accounting and finance. Accounting was – I was never passionate about accounting. I was very intrigued with uh, uh, with finance and, and how the markets worked. And had an internship with uh, two stockbrokers um, in my third year of college, so so I got some experience of what that industry looked like. Uh, so that that's what got me intrigued, and I decided to make uh, stay in the U.S. And after graduation, went through looking for jobs and looking for opportunities, and went to I thought I was going to go to New York, uh, be be on Wall Street, and went out there and did a bunch of interviews. Now what ended up happening was. I graduated in 02, so that was a year after 9-11. And because I was not uh, from the U.S., I was international, We ne- I needed sponsorship. I needed an H-1B visa to be able to work in the U.S. So most financial, um, uh, most wirehouses and big financial firms had stepped away after 9-11 from sponsoring international students to to stay in the country and, and work for them. So, so I came back to Las Vegas and was introduced um, to a smaller firm that was affiliated with a, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, an insurance-based BD. Uh, and they offered me a position to be able to join them and become an advisor. Uh, and that's where I really started my career, uh, was, was in Las Vegas. And Las Vegas has been home now for 24 years. Fascinating story. We have a lot in common, including not being intrigued with accounting, yet still falling in love with our segment of the business. Um, and I too thought I would end up in New York, and here I am in Iowa for the most part. So it's interesting how our various people's paths cross with mine as we get into this um, industry that we love so much. Talk about that small firm, and were, were there regrets? Were you disappointed? Did you just take advantage of it because it was there, but you really still set your views on you know something different in the future? Talk about that whole how that how that falls into place. So, so they they were a regional firm, and it's a small firm, not compared to the big wirehouses, but they were still affiliated with a large um, insurance based uh, broker dealer out of New York. So, so we uh, and I have I have no regrets because my path, as as we'll talk more, um, is is all about financial planning. And back when I graduated from college, 
I really didn't know what financial planning was because in college, they didn't teach about financial planning. They just talk about the markets uh, and stocks and bonds. So, so when I graduated, I had no idea what financial planning was. And I just thought I wanted to be a stockbroker on the Wall Street. But when I joined this firm, um, their, their thought process was uh, financial planning first. So using a process. And that's where I learned financial planning. So I have no regrets because that's, that's what my belief system is today, uh, is around financial planning and built some great friendships. I'm still friends with the owners of the firm. Um, and we, we, uh, I was with them for almost 17 years before I actually joined Cambridge. So, so it was, um, the whole transition was, was interesting because I've never done it before. Uh, I had never done it before at that time and, but made some great friends, um, and the firm is still is still is still around. They were regional. They don't have a, a location here in Las Vegas anymore, uh, but they still have the corporate office in in Denver. Uh, but made some great friends out of it, and still in touch with a lot of them. That's great. That's another special thing about this industry. So you've got more than twenty years of total industry experience, but share what it was like to go out on your own. You uh, founded Strategic Wealth Design in two thousand sixteen, I believe. Talk about that experience and what drove you to make that. After seventeen years, to your point, what drove you to make that leap? So, uh, so Strategic Wealth Design was was formed while I was uh, with the previous firm. So the previous firm did give us flexibility. Um, and, and they did treat us like business owners. So they gave us enough flexibility to have our own branding, have our own, uh, have our own name and, and build our business how, how we wanted to. So, so Strategic Wealth Design was founded while I was with them. Um, when we decided to leave um, the previous company, there, there had been some ownership change. Even though we, were, we built relationships with the new owners, it's, um, um, our vision um, took us more on the independent side. So we, so the vision of building strategic wealth design was primarily to having certain philosophies that we have around, around planning and was to build our own brand name. And in this, this will come back in 2020 uh, or 2019 when we made the decision of, of leaving the previous firm and, and going to Cambridge. I always tell the story that my wife and I are sitting on the couch and making this tough decision. I thought I was always going to be with that company. Um, and I'd been with them for 17 years and it was a big uh, financial change. It was, going to, it was going to impact us financially. And my wife and I are sitting on the couch one evening talking about our conversations with Cambridge and, and why we're making this change. And the big question came up is why do you want to make this change to, uh, to go to a different firm? And I remember uh, certain words I'm not going to say on this podcast, but I remember telling her that, um, or what I told her was, because I want to build a business, I want to build something. And the structure that we're in, the way I want to build it, wasn't allowing for that. So so we sat on the couch and, and it was just like, why do you want to do this? And I was like, why not? So there's a sports analogy, which I'm not a sports guy, but I like to use it all the time. You miss 100%, 100% of the shots that you don't take. So for me, it was, what can I build outside of the structure that I was in currently and at that time, and why not give it a shot? And I was still still young enough uh, where I can still take those risks and still be, and I'm intending on being in this business for the next another 20, 30 years. So I wanted to um, have faith and take that leap of faith to take that chance and, and go out on my own. And we still took our branding. We still took strategic wealth design with us. Um, the branding was there. And I think that made the transition a little bit easier uh, because the firm, our clients were familiar with our firm name, not necessarily the back end broker dealer name as much. 
So, so it was, it was, uh, it was interesting transition and it was a rough time because we transitioned three weeks before we, we gave our resignation three weeks before, um, uh, things shut down. The state took about two weeks to transfer our licenses. So for two weeks, we were essentially twiddling our th- thumbs and, and waiting for the state to transfer our licenses. And a week later, after licenses transferred over and removing clients, everything shut down. So, so it was an interesting time to go through the transition. Uh, certainly, no one could have planned the, uh, what, what happened with COVID, and, but no regrets. I think it uh, just made us stronger into what we have built over here and, and how we survived through, that, uh, through those first six months. You weren't alone in being an office that transitioned right around that time. And I just recall um, one of the other offices suggesting that, you know, everything happens for a reason and trying to find the silver lining in all of it. She knew where her clients would be so she could get their signatures quickly and efficiently because nobody was doing anything after everything shut down. So, um, you know, I think the moral of your story to some extent for the listeners is you got to take risks and risks, risks can pay off. Um, and uh, congratulations on all of that. Talk for a minute about um, you keep using the word we and our, which I love, um, but you have a team. Tell us about your team. What does it look like? Who came with you? And more importantly, did you collectively decide what the business would look like? Did you do that as a team? Was it a vision that was shared? Uh, yes. Yeah, so. So to a certain extent, some a lot of the visioning, um, I work on it with my business coaches, and and I've had multiple coaches over time, and I'm sure we'll get into uh, RPM and what RPM uh, means as well for for Cambridge and for us. But yes, to answer your questions, our team when we transitioned to Cambridge, it was four of us. So it was uh, my wife, myself, uh, Mike was another advisor with us, and and Tanya, uh, who's our uh, senior client service uh, uh, associate. And it was just the four of us at that time. And now we've grown the team to um, about 10 individuals. So over the last three and a half years, approximately. So it's about 10 individuals. Um, some of them are, two of them are part-time, but we have grown the team. And we have, we've always focused on, as because you, you asked the question, how did you vision? How do you want to grow? I've always driven the team to start thinking about, okay, who do we hire next? And we have an accountability chart that we built and we discuss it in our, we have weekly uh, team meetings on Fridays. In fact, they're about to start in a few minutes now, but we have weekly team meetings with our, uh, with the team. And in those meetings, we talk about business and we talk about uh, hiring and we review the accountability chart, who we're going to hire next. So sometimes it's not a surprise on who we're going to hire because we know the different divisions, departments, and teams that we have and where we are sort of feeling, feeling um, the pinch or the team members on that in those departments are feeling uh, more overwhelmed, so so we know in advance who we want to hire, in order to free up free up everyone's uh, time and capacity, so we can continue to grow. So, but it is a team discussion uh, usually, and and sometimes it is it is when the timing is right, I just make the decision of hiring uh, versus going back to the team because we know who we need to hire next. But at some point, I think we're at a point now where we will need to go back to the team and start looking at accountability chart again and focusing on, okay, which department do we need to hire? And that's, that's, those are the conversations that we have as a team. I think it's great that you include them, you know, 
totally different perspective, perhaps, but similar philosophy that I use around here at Cambridge is um, you can't get promoted until unless you work yourself out of a job and tell us that you need some help and figure out what skills you're going to and responsibilities you're going to keep. And then, you know, we know what to hire from there. So I think that's a that's a great successful philosophy and has worked out really well for us here. And I'm glad to hear it's working for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So you talked about RPM. Let, let's uh, let's talk about what that meant to you and, and what you got out of it. And for the listeners, RPM is Cambridge's practice management program, real practice management. So share with the listeners what that helped, how that helped you. So I joined Cambridge in 2022. We started our, uh, we went to RPM in 2021. Both Mike and I went in 2021. And what I was looking for, not being in the independent space, um, and that's the great thing about Cambridge is the flexibility. And we noticed a lot of advisors, a lot of firms run their business in a variety of different ways. So RPM gave us a, um, a lot more structure around uh, how do we how do we build our practice. It gave us the 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 collaboration, the camaraderie f- uh, with other advisors, and it built some great friendships from it, where we get to learn about their businesses, their practices, uh, and many times we're all facing the same challenges. It's it's not focusing on figuring out on our own, but rather borrowing from others' experiences so we can so we can learn faster and not have to make mistakes. So that's where that's what I that's what I learned from our that's what I loved about RPM because they had a lot of interaction among advisors uh, in addition to all the resources support that they provide. Uh, Ali Denhartog was was my coach so so kudos to her. She she put up with me because many times our conversation would go sideways uh, because I had a ton of stuff on my mind. And sometimes it's just needing that friend or that coach to to vent about the business, about the practice, about uh, sometimes clients as well, uh, about what's going on so that so that and, and then and Allie would offer offer that year. And then we would talk about uh, we would process that issue as to why it happened and, and what can be done to avoid avoid those um, those frustrations in the future. So I think the access to a business coach was phenomenal. The relationships, the friendships, being able to talk to other advisors was amazing. And I think it's one of the best programs that Cambridge offers, uh, in my opinion, to help advisors enhance and grow their practice. And all the ideas that you get out of it from a marketing standpoint, how to grow your practice is phenomenal as well. I'm glad you found the value in it. One of my past podcast interviewees used the term, and it wasn't even about RPM, but just the in, this industry itself. Independent does not mean alone. And it really resonated. And that's what you just described. You're running your own business and it's independent and you've got your team, but it's good to have to know that other people are going through the same things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Love it. So you made a great segue. Let's talk about your clients. What is your approach to finding clients and do you use marketing strategies? What does your clientele look like? How do you work with them? So I'll, sh- I'll share a quick story about myself, Amy, um, which I think will set the stage for this next conversation around marketing. And we could, we could spend hours talking about it. But so when I, when I came here to go to university, um, quick funny story was that I ended up becoming the president of the American Marketing Association for American Marketing Student Association on campus. And, and I had zero marketing classes uh, while I was on campus here. I had done some of my marketing classes previously in, in Dubai while I was there. So, so that's a funny story because I was hanging out with all marketing majors. Here I'm, the, I'm a finance guy, the president of the marketing association. 
and they all made made fun of me about it. But I think all the skills and all the conferences and all the events that I attended with the American Marketing Association really set the stage for me for for always thinking like a marketer in our business. So, um, so the first thing from a marketing standpoint that I always want to explain and, and help people understand is that to attract clients, they need to first know you, they need to know about you, then they need to like you, and then eventually they need to trust you to manage their money. So the cycle, the buy cycle in our, in our business is long. Um, sometimes it's three months, six months, even a year, sometimes many years uh, before someone actually becomes a client. So along that, that cycle, the goal is that I like to do is make sure the, uh, make sure the clients get to know us, they get to like us, and, and they hopefully build that trust with us over long term. So the first thing from a marketing standpoint, when we um, uh, joined Cambridge, we started rebranding um, and, and standardizing our, our brand, essentially. So making sure that we have consistent branding across the board when it comes to all the materials that we produce, the website, the business cards, um, our social media presence, our marketing materials that we produce as well. So all that stuff we want to standardize from the fonts that we use, the uh, the colors, um, the the style of of text, uh, not the font, but necessarily the, the style of speaking when we're when we're writing those writing those uh, articles or or text for our for our website. So the first step that we did was focus on the branding side of things, making sure everything is consistent. Anything new that comes up, uh, we always try to keep that consistent as well. So if anyone ever goes to our website and, and see some of our materials, they'll notice that they all look very similar. Um, and it's because we use one designer for putting all that stuff together. So they've kept it consistent for us over time. Next was, uh, from a marketing standpoint, to attract new clients is uh, um, to get, again, for, to get clients to know about us. We do, we do several things. So one is obviously being out, out and about in the community. Uh, I am, I'm involved in, in boards. I'm involved in different organizations. We go to their events. For example, today where we, we have a chamber event that I'll be going to. So, so I'm out and about at least once, maybe twice a week. So just getting the brand name, getting, getting the name recognition out there. The other things that we do is we have relationships. Uh, we have our niche, our market is we work with dentists, physicians, and business owners. And many times business owners that are, that are in those fields, medical and dental fields. So, so we have built a specific niche in working, working in those three, three areas. Now, with dentists, we work a ton with dental schools, and we work a ton with medical schools for physicians. So we're working with a lot of young dentists and young physicians that are graduating from these programs. And we conduct financial planning seminars there, and that's where we get the exposure. We get to collect the contact information, their name and email address when we're at those seminars. And generally after that, that's how they get to know about us, uh, where we are we're providing value and education to those programs, as well as we, we have dinner events that we host or um, for those schools and medical, medical schools and dental schools. And they put on these, what they call vendor fairs that we attend as well. So our, our goal is just to keep adding value and collecting contact information, names and emails. That's our number one goal because we know the buy cycle is long. And at that point, we want to get them into, that's how they know about us. Now we want to focus on how do they like us? So 
that's the middle of the funnel marketing. We use email marketing, a lot of the stuff that we use from Snappy Kraken, which I know is approved by Cambridge as well. Uh, then we do a lot of custom emails as well, specifically for those for those markets. Um, and then we host webinars. Uh, we have a webinar coming up next week that we're focusing on student loan debt uh, with all the changes that, that are taking place recently. So, so that's a middle of the funnel marketing where they get to know more about us and, and hopefully start liking us because of the value that we're providing. And then ultimately, we, we pick up the phone, we call, and, and we ask them to buy. So essentially, build hopefully we build that likeness and then start building that relationship with them and have them trust us to manage their, manage their funds. So, so that's, it's, that's the way we approach marketing is to build that know, like, and trust. And those are different um, avenues that we use for for starting to uh, starting to build our essentially our contact list and and attracting new clients. And then once you've attracted the client and they've come to know, like, and begin to trust you, because I'm sure that takes uh, that happens over time to some extent. Um, you've mentioned how important financial planning is to uh, you and your team and the whole business that you've built. What's the process look like? How do you onboard them? And then what's the planning process? So, uh, so our planning process, as long as they agree with financial planning, we, we do have some individuals that either just want us to manage investments or they want to purchase some insurance and that's perfectly fine as well. And we'll certainly help them out in those scenarios. For financial planning, our process is um, where, so I'll step back. So for financial planning, the way we have designed a process, uh, we call it a two-phase approach. And it's like building a house. It's And we always relate to real estate because we do work with a lot of real estate professionals too. So it's like building a house. There's usually two phases to building a house. There's a design phase and there's a build phase. So usually the design is where you put the, the blueprint together on how you want that house to be built. And the build phase is where you hire a general contractor to actually build the house. So, so our financial planning process is very similar. We have a design phase where we would share a philosophy and what we believe in, uh, what financial planning can do for them. Uh, we get to understand what their philosophies are and how they think about money. Then we go into the discovery phase, which we start to collect all their data. All their data. Uh, so we, we collect all their documents. Uh, we use eMoney as our financial planning tool. Uh, we start them off by self-onboarding them, but then we spend about an hour to hour and a half uh, going through and reviewing everything with them. That's our whole discovery process. Then we have the strategy phase where we uh, take a look at their goals and start working towards their strategies on what would make sense for them. Now we have a whole, uh, what I call is a financial balance blueprint that we use. And uh, it's, they can, I believe it's on our website, Amy. So if listeners, um, by the time listeners actually get this audio, we'll make sure it's on our website if it's not. So I'll, that's something I'll check out right after this. But we use something called a financial balance blueprint, which guides the conversations for all uh, all our clients. So there's essentially four components to it. The first component is cash flow. So we believe cash flow is king. Uh, cash flow is the foundation of everyone's financial plan. So we start off with cash flows. Then we focus on risk management, which is all about insurance and, and making sure they have their legal documents, trust, will set up. Then we go into what I call is the, the pillars of wealth, the buckets of wealth, um, where we segment and, and talk about strategies using the, the bucketing strategy, essentially. 
but short-term, mid-term, and long-term buckets. Uh, but we're using it, and a lot of the bucketing strategies used for retirees, we're using it on the flip side. We're using it for younger individuals on how they segment their buckets and segment their wealth. And the fourth item that we focus on is legacy planning, estate planning, and charitable planning. So that's essentially the conversations that we have around those topics in our financial planning process with all our clients. That's the strategy phase. And then eventually we start talking about the building phase. That's where we would give them recommendations. Some recommendations they have to go out and implement on their own. Some recommendations, if they choose to use us, they don't have to do the investments with us. They don't have to buy the insurance. But if they choose to set everything up through us, then we'd be happy to have them and help help them serve, help them build that house for them. So act as that general contractor in that real estate example that I was using. So, so essentially, once we go through, we build everything out, usually depending upon the clients, can take three to six months, generally, for complicated situations, it's, it's usually longer. And then we go into what I call is um, um, maintenance mode, where we're maintaining uh, the financial plan. We're reviewing it on a regular basis. Uh, where we do use a subscription-based fee model from that perspective. So, so we're consistently meeting with them. Uh, depending upon, we have different levels set up for our financial planning services. So, either annual or semi-annual or quarterly basis, and and then we just go ahead and get into this rhythm of making sure the financial plan stays up to date. Great model. You're obviously very passionate about serving these clients of yours. Um, and from reading your website, financial awareness is important. You recognize the importance for the younger generations, just like you described about flipping it around. Um, I've also seen you featured in a couple of your YouTube videos. Talk about why financial awareness is the key to all of this. Why is that so important? So, so Amy, that's a great question. And, and I think and I think it comes from the first belief. So I've been doing this for 20 years. And what I have recognized that people want two things out of their money. And there's only two things. Any of their goals, everything sort of falls within these two, um, two philosophies. So first is they want financial freedom. So what I believe, most people that come to us, they, they want to achieve their financial freedom. And the way we define financial freedom is that point in time where you have saved enough assets of build enough wealth, where working for a paycheck becomes optional. So individuals that have achieved that, they may still wake up in the morning and go to work because they're passionate about what they're doing. But at financial freedom, the way we define it is having enough assets saved up so you don't have to go to work for a paycheck or to pay your bills. So our belief is that everyone wants to achieve that. I've yet to meet someone that says, hey, I don't want that. The second, what I recognize is everyone wants financial security. Now, the way we define it it's it's um, it's a mindset that you are going to be okay because you're making good decisions with your money and serving your families, yourself, and your communities. So it's all about building the right habits and building the right discipline. So having the right discipline gives individuals financial security and will help them build financial freedom. And financial freedom... If you achieve that, it gives you financial security as well. So that's the first belief that that I've had where those are the only two things that people want out of their money. And I believe in financial planning that everyone needs a financial plan because you've heard the old saying, if you fail to plan, you if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. So so I have I'm a father, I have three small kids, 
and and they don't teach enough about financial uh, wellness, saving, investing uh, in schools. They don't they don't teach it to our clients that are dentists and physicians graduating from dental schools and and medical schools. So so it is it has become a passion uh, of ours because we want a lot of the team members that we have are ed, have this mindset of educating and being of value. So. So we always want to keep adding value, and the way we add value is by educating uh, individuals, families about finances, financial wellness, and and how to build financial freedom, how to have that financial security. Uh, but it all comes from the mindset of educating our clients and consistently adding value uh, in their lives. So our our purpose, our mission. If you go on our website, you'll see this. Our purpose is to enrich the lives of people we touch. And we do it through the world of financial planning. And that connects so well with Cambridge's purpose, which is to make a difference at the highest level. Um, so I can see why I'm, I'm really glad we found each other and I can see why there's a lot of synergy. So thank you for sharing all of that. That's going to be really valuable to the listeners as they either consider building their business or um, are working on making some changes. Um, I appreciate that. So as we wrap up my podcast, I usually like to talk about what we, you, do outside of the office. You mentioned that you were a father. So let's talk about your family. Um, I think you are a father of three, if I read your bio correctly. And what do you guys do in your free time? Thanks, Amy. Yeah, yes, father of three. Our, our oldest is 12. Uh, our middle one is almost nine, next, actually nine next week. And our youngest one is almost seven in two months. So, um, so it is... The household is busy. It's crazy. Uh, all three of them are in competitive swim. Uh, the youngest one is just starting, starting in the same, uh, in the same, on the same team, but they're in competitive swim. So many times, uh, I would probably say at least once a month or once every six weeks, we have a swim meet somewhere. Uh, so we're tied up with those. Then we have uh, they have swim practice almost on a daily basis. So a lot of time is spent with with kids and with family. And by the time Friday rolls around, our favorite thing is pizza and movie night. So, so we make homemade pizza um, and and then and then turn on a movie. And usually, uh, my passion, if you read on my website, it's it's all about superheroes and and watching uh, uh, Marvel movies. Um, so, other passions outside of work is enjoy hiking, being in nature. That's that's one thing. I don't I don't do enough of it. I wish I did more, but certainly being out being outdoors is something I really enjoy. And and just I think. With kids, life, kids, and running a business, life, life is crazy. So, uh, so we try to try to make sure we take care of ourselves, work out, eat right, cook at home. So, do do all the things that that I think we all as human beings um, uh, want and desire. But I know life life is busy. So, I just want to make sure that the free time that I have, I'm with kids, and either we're at home or we're doing outside. We're doing some fun things outside. That sounds amazing. And uh, you're right. You're at the, those are busy ages. I have a sister who's got younger children. Mine are, mine are grown and adults, but uh, they are also involved in competitive swim. And it's a long, you know, you, you spend a lot of time inside that, uh, I don't know, you don't call it a gym, I suppose, when they're swimming. But um, I usually watch them on YouTube. So I don't actually get into the, the uh, situation that you're in when they're competing, but it looks pretty exciting to me. So that's Family first. That's important. 
Who's your favorite superhero? Uh, you may not know this, though I think we've announced it at a couple of events on and off. The executive team, or at least a fair number of us, are also big superhero fans. We have our own identified favorite superheroes, and we do some challenge coin stuff with it. So who's your favorite superhero? You know, I, I'm a techie, so I would go with Iron Man. Uh, but my wife always lovingly calls me her, her Hulk, so... Ah, I love it. I love it. I have been a fan of Wonder Woman since I was very, very young. It was my, my dad had a CB radio in his truck and Wonder Woman was my handle, if that means anything to you. You're young enough that it may not, but I've been uh, fascinated with her since the Linda Carter era. So um, we have that in common too. Yes, yes. It's been really great getting to know you, Mahesh, and um, thank you so much for sharing a fascinating story with our listeners. Thank you again for joining me. I loved getting to hear your story and getting to know you, and I just appreciate your time. I appreciate your time as well, Amy. Thank you again for having me on this podcast. Um, and, and again, my goal is to add value, so I really hope that listeners uh, listeners can take one one nugget from here and, and be able to implement something in their practice. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. I'm confident they will. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.